And you can go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 3. It can be our moral conscience again this afternoon, because I'm giving my keys to Stella again. And I want my, my car. Some of you have made fun of the color of my car, which is officially black cherry but some of you think it looks like purple. But it's really injured me, um, and so I would like to get it repainted. So I'm, I'm going to get it repainted, and it's going to be fire engine sports car red. So I'm going to give the keys to Stella, and I would like her, if she's willing, you know, because she's a kind-hearted person, right? Yeah. Right? Okay, good. Um, so she's going to take it to um, the uh, body shop, the auto body shop, to get it painted red, exactly the way I want it. So those are the, my instructions for her. Please take my car to the body shop to get it painted red. Tell them that's what the color I want. So as she's driving to the body shop, she thinks to herself, you know what? Red? Really? Red? So cliche. I mean, doesn't Pastor Gable know that sports car red, that makes you a target, you know, if you're for speeding, you know, driving too fast? Don't, doesn't he know that the police officers, man, that, that catches their eye and they're watching to see if you're going too fast? I don't know. It shouldn't be red. I, I, I would, I'm thinking it might be better gray. So when she takes it to the body shop, she tells the, uh, the manager there when he confirms the instructions, yeah, we're going to change it from red and we're going to make it gray. I think that's better. Right? Or wrong? Is what Stella did in changing the color right or wrong? Wrong. Okay, why? Because it's not hers. Oh, now that goes back to what we talked about yesterday, the principle that really underlies everything we're going, to, we're, we're going to be talking about over the next few days, the principle of ownership, that she doesn't have the right to do whatever she wants with the car because the car doesn't belong to, to her, it belongs to me. And so we applied the principle yesterday that your body, specifically your body, God says, belongs to Him. Not only because he's the one who created it and he gave it to you, but also if you're saved, if you're born again, doubly so, he shed his blood and paid the price to buy you, to buy your body as well. And he comes to live inside, to dwell inside your body when you trust Christ. And so you belong to him. And so just as Stella doesn't have the right to do whatever she wants with my car, you don't have the right to do whatever you want with your body. Now, God has given it to you for a reason. He's given you some parameters of things you, you can do. I did give her the keys. She did drive it there, but that's what I told her she should do with it. But she also doesn't have the right to display it in the way that she wants to display it, to change the color. So God owns our bodies. We've laid the groundwork. He has the right to tell us what to do. He has the right to tell us what we should put in our body, what we should put on our body, where we should take our body, how we should use our body. And that includes the issue of what we should put on our body. Does God care about our clothing? And that's an interesting question. So today, we're going we're gonna to talk about that. What does the Bible have to say about my dress? How I dress? And as we talk about this issue, let me lay uh, uh, another piece of, of groundwork in place to help, to help you think through these issues. We need to remember all along the way when we talk about things such as this, and sometimes the word separation is used um, to describe some of these issues uh, but when we discuss these things, when we talk about these things, we need to make, make sure that we distinguish a couple of things. The, what we need to be really careful about is we need to distinguish what are standards, what are rules, and what are biblical principles. 
So a biblical principle is what we can clearly see, what we clearly can define, what clearly can take somebody to in the scriptures. That is a biblical principle. The principles do not change. They are what they are. They're in black and white. Anyone can see them. We can show them to anyone. That's a principle. Now, a standard or a rule is a specific boundary, and it helps, to, it helps us to determine how we are to fulfill that principle. And I mentioned it yesterday. Another way to view it is it is a boundary that protects that principle. And if we don't have any rules, if we don't have any standards, we will wind up, maybe not even intentionally, but we will wind up violating that principle. What God is going to hold us accountable for is the principles that he's given to us. It is up to us to then say, all right, where am I going to draw some specific lines, specific rules, specific boundaries, specific standards in my life so that I don't violate that principle? We mentioned yesterday about how right now in your life, you're under your parents, you're under uh, uh, some of the church or school rules that you haven't necessarily set up those fences. You haven't set up those, uh, those boundaries uh, yourself. But one day you are going to need to because God's going to hold you accountable as to whether or not you have violated the principles that he's given to you in his word. Now, we don't want to uh, confuse the two issues because what winds up happening is we, we can easily judge other people because they don't have the same rule or the same standard as we do. And if we're not careful, we can do what the Pharisees did and teach for doctrine the commandments of men. They took their rules and they said, if you don't do exactly what we say, then you are violating God's principles. And that was a mistake. And we need to be careful about that. God gives us his principles, black and white, lays them out very clearly but he leaves it up to the individual believer to draw some, some boundaries, to, to make some standards in your own life, personally, between you and God, so you don't violate that standard. That's between you and God. That does not mean you can do whatever you want, though. And some people say, well, you know, the, you know, everybody's standards are different. That means I can set up my standards however I want. No, that, that's not what that means. Because if you set up your standards however you want, you're going to wind up violating the principle. You start with the principle and then you allow that principle to to work its way out and you ask, how does this apply to my life? Most people go the opposite. They look at the standard, they look at the rule and they say, why do I have to do that? Well, I don't think I really have to do that. And here's why. Now, we need to start with the, the principle so then we can build boundaries in our lives. And some of the things that we'll, we'll talk about, um, you know, you probably know some people, perhaps even your own house. You don't have some of those same standards and same rules. We might, we might uh, discuss some of those things today. But rather than, than saying, well, um, you know, there's disagreement, so therefore I don't need to listen, what you need to do is go back to the principle and then evaluate for yourself. Am I violating the principle with some of the things that I do? Because remember... A, 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 uh, um, a good rule of thumb when it comes to your, or I should say a bad rule of thumb when it comes to standards is just for you, just saying, well, I can get away with it, or I'm allowed to do it, or I can. That's not a good reason for a standard in your life. A good reason is, well, this is what God says, and here's how I see it apply. That's a little bit of a background, um, uh, some background information. But does the Bible, getting back to our subject this morning, does the Bible say anything about our dress? And I believe the Bible actually says quite a, quite a bit. So we're going to look at a lot of different passages today, have a lot of, a lot of you read um, some verses so we can hit on a bunch of things. But I want to give you a comprehensive sort of overview, try to hit as much as we can in the time that we have so that you have all the information that you need that God says so that you can set up some proper boundaries in your life. Everybody has some boundaries. It's just, what are you using to set those up? And the place to start is really God's word. So when it comes to our dress, there are four specific issues that God addresses in the Bible. Four specific issues that we ought to consider when we are choosing our wardrobe. 
The first issue is found here in Genesis chapter 3. You should have already gone there. Uh, the, the story is familiar. Genesis 3 is about the, the first sin in the garden when Adam and Eve chose to eat of the fruit. And when they ate of that fruit, their eyes were open. They realized, verse 7, that they were naked. And so they decided, you know what, we need to make some sort of covering for ourselves. And they sewed together some, some fig leaves and made uh, an apron of sorts. And even they knew that that wasn't quite adequate because when God came, they still hid themselves because it wasn't... They tried and, and they failed. It wasn't enough. It wasn't what was needed. And so after God deals with the sin, we get to verse number 21. And we're told that unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God made coats of skins and clothed them. He made coats of skins to clothe Adam and Eve. The first issue that we need to understand when we're thinking about what does the Bible say about my dress, the first thing we need to understand is the issue of nakedness. The issue of nakedness. We see, we've, we've already pointed out that Adam and Eve made aprons. What did God make in verse 21? Coats. Is there a difference between an apron and a coat? We'll see when we go Christmas caroling in December. I'll give you an apron and say, be warmed and filled and have a great time Christmas caroling when it's 20 degrees. And this, this ought to keep you warm. There, there is a difference between the two. And we've already pointed out, Adam and Eve noticed that they saw the difference between those two things. They, they knew what they had created was not enough. It was, it was inadequate. And so God steps in and he makes adequate clothing for them. And the purpose of what God did, the purpose of, of God clothing them was to provide a proper covering for them. Now, in this covering, there is a foreshadow of a spiritual covering that God was going to, uh, God was going to orchestrate, spiritually speaking, by the Lamb of God coming and paying the price for their sin. Spiritually speaking, that is true. That is a reference that he, that's here. But also, physically speaking, God made this clothing in order to properly cover their nakedness. Because of the impact of sin, and this is a very interesting topic, a deep topic. I don't have all the answers as to why. But the, but the Bible is clear that because of the impact of sin, Adam and Eve became aware of the fact that they were naked. And they even tried to cover it up but it was obviously not enough. God had to provide a proper covering for their nakedness. And you see it here in the story. We don't have time to read Genesis chapter 3. But we also see it in Revelation chapter 16, the idea that nakedness brings shame. In Revelation 16, we won't turn there. Jesus says, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. There's something about that first sin that opened mankind's eyes to, uh, the, to their condition as, as not being properly covered. And that was an issue that God needed to deal with following that first sin. There are some people who believe that Adam and Eve in the garden, they were clothed with God's glory. And that's an interesting thought. The Bible doesn't say that. There's no way to prove that. But it's, you know, it's an interesting thing to think about. But the Bible does make clear that when sin came... Now came the issue of nakedness that, needs, that needed to be dealt with. Now, what does nakedness mean? I think sometimes we think of it in a wrong uh, manner. The word naked is actually used almost 50 times in the Bible. And almost every single time, the word naked does not mean no clothes. I mean, it's the, uh, the, the passage in James when it talks about uh, a friend being, uh, uh, being naked and without food and he comes to your house and he's hungry. That doesn't mean he has no clothing on. It means that he is, he's improperly clothed. And it could even be with the temperature, improperly clothed. clothed. He's got, you know, uh, uh, not, doesn't have a proper coat to keep him warm. So, so naked means, in, in the Bible, is used, and it's used in this sense, not properly clothed. And so in, in the very first um, uh, instance of the use of that word in Genesis chapter 3, we find that, that God has to step in and adequately deal with this issue of nakedness. Now, let me just ask you a question. When you go to 
the store or wherever you go to the mall, wherever you go to buy clothes, why do you choose the clothing that you choose? To be honest, hey, why do you choose the clothing that you choose? Because you like it. Callie? It looks good. It's comfortable. There we go. Other people will like it. None of the girls are going to say it looks cute. No, those are the, the most common reasons. And, and I'm not discounting any of those reasons. There's actually, um, you know, there, there, there's something to be said for each of those. But that's the primary reason why we often choose what we wear. It's comfortable. I like it. It looks good. It's stylish, so other people think it looks good. Those are the, the main reasons. But, you know, what, what, what is God's... When, when, when God looks at our clothing, what is the primary function of our clothing? In God's eyes, the primary function of our clothing is to cover those areas that shouldn't be uncovered. God's primary purpose of clothing is to cover our nakedness. Which leads us then to the question... All right, then what is nakedness? Now, that does rule out, and there's a whole, there's a whole category of clothing that the, the, the entire purpose of that, that those, those items of clothing is to reveal, not to cover. And so that rules out all of that. But we need, to, we need to get to this place. What does God consider to be improperly covered? What does God consider to be naked? Well, in order to, to know what, what, what God considers to be so, we've got to go to his word. And so we're going to look at a couple of passages. So I want you to go with me to Exodus chapter 28. What does God consider naked? What does God, and, and, we, and you can get clues on this by even thinking about how God clothed Adam and Eve. You can get some, clo- you can get some clues on that. But here's even some more uh, uh, specific parameters as to what is naked? Look at Exodus chapter 28. Find verse number 40. And I'm in Genesis, so that's not right. Let's see. Exodus 28 and verse number 40. It says, And for Aaron's sons thou shalt make coats, and thou shalt make for them girdles and bonnets. Thou shalt make for the, and bonnets shalt thou make for them for glory and for beauty. That's just a funny different way. A girdle is kind of a belt. A bonnet is something that you would wear on your head. And these clo- the, the purpose of this clothing was to be uh, glorious and beautiful as priests. These are the, the, the sons of Aaron. And they were to wear the specific clothing so that they, that they uh, kind of fit the uniform as priests of God. We could put it that way. Verse 41, uh, And thou shalt put them upon Aaron thy brother, thy brother and his sons with him, and thou shalt anoint them and consecrate them and sanctify them, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. And look at verse 42. Underneath all of that, thou shalt make them linen breeches. It's another word for pants, I guess. To cover their nakedness from the loins, even unto the thighs, they shall reach. All right, so what were they supposed to make? Breeches. What was supposed to be covered? From their loins to their thighs. And why was that the case? Because their nakedness needed to be covered. So God defines, all right, the loins, that's this area of your body, all the way down to your thighs, that's this area of the body, to be naked. And he, to, he had specific instructions. This is what you are supposed to do. This is the clothing you're supposed to make for the priests so that their nakedness would be covered. Go to Isaiah chapter 47. Isaiah chapter 47. We find God using some, using a word picture to describe the destruction of Babylon, the judgment of Babylon that he was going to bring, he describes Babylon as a young lady, specifically in verse 1, a virgin daughter. And this is what's going to happen. So he's, he's making this comparison between Babylon and this virgin daughter. Notice what's going to happen to this young lady. Verse 2, it says, Take the millstones and grind the meal. In other words, she's going to become a servant and do this menial labor. Then it says, uncover thy locks, make bare the leg, 
uncover the thigh, pass over the rivers. Notice verse 3. Thy nakedness shall be uncovered, yea, thy shame shall be seen. One of the things that it says there at the end of verse number 2 is that they were to make bare the leg for the purpose of passing over the rivers. And when they did so, they made bare the leg, they uncovered the thigh. When they did so, verse 3 says, their nakedness was uncovered. Again, that region of the thighs is that God considers to be naked, and it ought to be covered up. Let's go to, we'll stay in Isaiah, flip back to chapter 20. And verse number 2. These are God's, this is God speaking specifically here. He says, At the same time spake the Lord by Isaiah, the son of Amos, saying, Go and loose the sackcloth from off thy loins, and put off thy shoe from thy foot. And he did so, walking naked and barefoot. All right, so there's two words there. There's naked and there's barefoot. Each of them matches up with what's mentioned in the previous sentence. All right, barefoot, that means without shoes, right? And it talks about how he puts off his shoes. But the idea of being naked is un, uh, getting rid of the, the, the sackcloth that covered his loins, which is this area right here. So we find God defining the loins and the thighs as being nakedness. From here to here, that is naked. And uh, as an additional um, uh, additional passage to kind of back this up, go to John chapter 21 and verse 7. And by the way, in that passage, when you're reading back in Isaiah, where it talks about Isaiah walking naked, that, again, that doesn't mean that he didn't have any clothes on. It does mean that he wasn't properly dressed, and there were some areas that should have been covered that weren't. But this was a specific command of God for a specific purpose that he was to fulfill. But here in John chapter 21, verse 7, we find Peter. And this is Jesus coming to the disciples, and he calls out to them. They don't realize it's him. John kind of puts the pieces together. Finally, he says, it's the Lord, verse 7. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved said unto Peter, it is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that, it was the Lord. He girded his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked and did cast himself into the sea. Now, that word fisher's coat is very interesting. Um, it literally means a, uh, a frock. Some of you ladies actually know what that means. I had to look it up. Or a shirt. It wasn't that Peter was out there fishing and he didn't have any clothes on. But it does mean that he had put off his shirt. He... Uh, uh, he was not properly clothed. He saw Jesus. He put that back on, and he actually jumped into the water and swam from the boat back to where Jesus was on shore. So God has clearly defined the areas of our bodies, from our loins to our thighs, what would be covered by a coat like he covered Adam and Eve, what would be covered by that fisher's coat that it describes that Peter had from, from that area to the, to the loins, to the thighs, all of that God considers as naked. And the primary function of clothing is to cover our nakedness. And that covering, we need to remember this and think about this, that those areas ought to be covered regardless of our position or our activity. So whether we're sitting or standing or running or climbing or whatever we're doing, our nakedness should be covered. That's what God makes very plain and very clear. So regardless of what we're doing, regardless of, uh, of, where, of, of, of where, what position we might be in, God has said those areas ought to be covered. And there's some semblance even in the world that there are certain areas that should be covered even in public, although that's beginning to shrink, shrink more and more, it seems like, as the days go by. Um, but we have some sort of standard of, okay, that's inappropriate and that's appropriate. The question is, do we go to the Bible to draw that line? Or do we, just, or we go to culture to draw that line? Or we go to our feelings to, to draw that line? And so even just understanding this, there's some, there's some 
uh, uh, normal behaviors in our culture, like what we wear to go to the beach, for example, that are automatically ruled out. If we want to not violate the principle of nakedness. So that's our first principle. God has defined it for us. Number two, not principle, I should say. It's the first issue. The second issue that we need to be mindful of is the issue of modesty. And for this, we're going to go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. So once you write that down, find 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. 1 Timothy 2. Now you'll notice that we read, when we read this text, it's, it's specifically addressed in verse 9 to the ladies, to the women. I think the principle that's here applies across the board, but specifically he's in, this, uh, in this case he's talking to ladies. But he says in verse 9, "...in like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but that which... But, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel. There's a couple main words in verse number 9. And the first word is modest. It describes the apparel that the, the women are supposed to adorn themselves with. Modest. What is modest? In fact... It's interesting that word modest is the word that's translated modest is only used one other time in the New Testament. And it's actually uh, translated as good behavior, which gives you an idea of what modest means. It's something that's good. It's something that's appropriate. If we were to go to Webster's 1828 dictionary, he would define modest as properly restrained by a sense of propriety. So something that is just not loose and and does whatever it wants, but that it's something that's properly restrained. It's not forward or bold. It's not presumptuous or arrogant. It's not boastful as a modest youth or a modest man. He goes on to define modest as something that is not bold or forward, not loose or lewd. And by loose, not as in fitting loose, but loose as in no standard, no boundary, no guidelines. Modest is moderate. It's not excessive or extreme. It's not extravagant. In other words, modesty means and has the idea of uh, of something that doesn't draw attention to itself. It's not something that screams, hey, look at me. Or specifically, hey, look at specific parts of me or areas of me drawing attention to yourself. Hold hold your place here. Go, Go to 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter 3, and we're going to come back um, to 1 Timothy 2, so just hold your place there. First, Tim, First Peter 3, and I, I guess I said a bunch of you are re- would be reading, uh, but we'll have some more opportunities as we go. But does anyone like to read verse 3 and 4? Some young ladies to read verse 3 and 4. All right, Anna, verse 3, and Leah, verse 4. I think this is a very good definition of the word modesty or a good picture of the word modesty. He says, Who's adorning? Let it not be that outward adorning of plating of hair or of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel. Now, that doesn't mean that any of those things are wrong. Because if it did, that would mean that putting on of apparel is wrong and, you know, we want to all have our clothes on. But, but he's making a statement. The, the sentence continues on in verse 4. But let their adorning be the hidden man of the heart. In other words, modesty, the idea of of modesty, is is not clothing that draws attention to your body or parts of your body. 
But it is clothing that allows the hidden man of the heart to come through. That's what's most important. Verse 4, it says, in that which is not corruptible. Do you know your, your body's looks is something that are, that's corruptible? It's going to change. You're going to get old. <laughs> and you know what happens when you get old. But do you know what's not corruptible? The inner man, the inside, the real you. In other words, what Peter is saying is don't allow your clothing to detract from the real you. Don't allow your clothing to just be screaming to everyone, look at me, and we can't even see, and, and specifically not looking at the real you, it's looking, look at my body and how it is dressed. So that's one way to define modesty. Let me give you perhaps a way to define modesty that is easy to understand and remember. And we actually all, we, we actually all understand this innately. To be modest means that something must be covered and concealed. And you have to meet both of those conditions in order for it to be modest, modest right? Because just because something is covered doesn't mean it's concealed. I mean, I could take you out and um, spray a, a sprayable rubber, all, a black sprayable rubber all, all um, over your body. You would be covered, right? Would anything be concealed? No. No. So we, we kind of instinctively understand that. Modesty is, is, is when, our, when our nakedness, that those parts of our body that God says should be covered, modesty is when those parts are not only covered, but they're also concealed. That's what makes something modest. And remember, God was the one who designed clothing to cover. He did not design clothing to draw attention to parts of you that God says should be covered. That's not the point. And if that, is the, that, if that is the goal of the clothing that you have, to reveal or leave little to the imagination, then it is not modest. So modest means that we're not drawing attention to our body and parts of our body that should be covered. Modest means that we're covered and we're concealed. Now, that doesn't mean we go and, and wear a paper bag from head to toe. All right, That's not what we're talking about. Remember, God defined what those areas were that need to be covered and concealed. But go back to 1 Timothy 2. There's another word that's there. It says, In like manner, women adorn themselves with modest apparel. Do you know what the word apparel means? The word apparel literally means something that is lowered down, that is let down, it's not something that is, you know, wrapped on, but it, it, is, it is lowered. It, it means a lowering, a letting down, a garment that is let down. That's what the word apparel means. So, modest apparel. And then he says, women adorn themselves with modest apparel, with shamefacedness. And that's another interesting word. The word shamefacedness means with a sense of honor, modesty, bashfulness. And the idea of bashfulness is, again that we're not screaming, look at my body. But it is a, 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 a sense of reverence. And then it also means shamefacedness means a regard for others. There's a very real sense in which there is a consideration of other people when we are choosing what to wear. And ladies, I think this largely affects you. That you can be a temptation to someone else based on what you choose and how you choose to adorn yourself. Now, that is not to mean, and I've heard this so many times, um, you know, they, they say, well, people who talk about modesty, they, they blame, they blame the, the girls for the, for the men's bad actions. That, that's not what we're doing at all. And guys, you should never use the way some, some girl is dressed as an excuse for what's going on in your mind. You're responsible for that. That's your fault. However, ladies, you can definitely help an awful lot with that by dressing in a way that is shamefaced, 
That is, showing a respect and a regard for others that are around you. So it says, women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and what else? Sobriety. Or the idea of being sober. What does it mean to be sober? To be serious. Okay, to be serious. Why would we be serious? What is there to be serious about? We, um, it was probably many years ago when we uh, really got in and and maybe it's a, uh, a topic we need to cover again. Specifically in the New Testament, being sober is a command that's, uh, that's directed at young people, young men, young ladies. But the idea of being sober, and this is just how I, um, the definition in my mind to help me remember what it means. The idea of being sober is we're serious because we understand that there is more going on than I perceive with my senses. In other words, you you dress with sobriety when you demonstrate self-control because you understand the impact that your whatever you choose to, to dress, however you choose to dress, the impact that that is going to have. So, so what you wear is more important than just what makes you look cute or what you think looks nice. There's more at stake than just whether or not you are stylish or not. What's at stake? Well, first of all, you have uh, the issue of nakedness, that you have a responsibility before God to, to, to make sure you cover and conceal those areas that God says ought to be covered and concealed. You have a responsibility before him to fulfill that obligation. That's a, that's a weighty issue, right? That's a way, you have a re- responsibility before God. So you're considering that. You're considering this issue of modesty. Does it cover and properly cover and conceal you're considering am i showing regard to others and and what i'm wearing all right so there are deeper issues than just i like the flowers on this or i like the design of that you understand what that means that's what paul is saying here and, and specifically communicating to the ladies that they would adorn themselves in modest apparel that which covers and conceals with shamefacedness a, a sense of shame, a sense of honor, a sense of reverence and regard for others, and do so with sobriety, with self-control, realizing the importance and understanding the importance of the issue. All right, so we've dealt with two issues so far, the issue of nakedness, the issue of modesty. Number three, there's another issue that is at stake with what we choose and how we choose to dress, and that is this issue, the issue of gender distinction. Gender distinction. Here's where I need some help. I need somebody to look up Matthew chapter 19 and verse 4. Ethan, I need somebody to look up Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. Zacchaeus, I need somebody to look up Genesis 3, 16 and 19. Isaac will take care of that. What I mean by gender distinction is that God has defined that there are two genders and only two. There's not a hundred. There's not a hundred thousand, which is basically, I guess, where we are as a society. You can, you can create a gender, whatever you feel like, you can just make it up. But God says there are two genders, just two. All right? And what, what do we base that off? Let's, let's read some of what the, what the Bible says. Matthew 19 and verse 4. Who has that? Ethan? So he that made them in the beginning, that's God. He made them male and female. And that's, that's not quite quoting from, but it's referencing Genesis 1.27, when God says this. Who has Genesis 1.27? Zacchaeus? So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created him. So God made male and female. Two genders... He made them different. He made them distinct. And what's interesting, when you get to Genesis 3 now, after Adam and Eve sinned, 
Not only are male and female distinct and different in their gender, but God even gives different, um, different punishments or different consequences based on that sin. Verse 16, I think, is the, the consequences on Adam. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and, the, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Obviously, I got that flipped around, right? He dealt with consequences with Eve, and it has to do with the, the pain and difficulty of childbirth. It's part of the curse of sin. And uh, probably you're not, not up on current events as much as it's kind of a hobby of mine, but there was a specific tennis star who retired, and she was complaining about this, that she was oppressed because she wants to have a family. If she were a man, she wouldn't have to retire to have a family. It's like, well, who are you mad at? Like, society that, you, that, that women bear children? I mean, um, you, you, are you mad at God? I mean, ultimately, that was the consequence of sin, that there was sorrow and difficulty and, and uh, physical pain that comes with childbirth. There was a specific consequence to sin that was upon the, 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 the female gender, and then there's a specific consequence of sin on the male gender. That's verse 19. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt thou return. All right, and so part of the curse is the difficulty in being the provider. That's what, as, as men, as males, that's, that's the curse, the, the consequence of the curse that we bear. So, these two genders are, are, are different. They are distinct. God treats them as different. God treats them as distinct. So much so that we find that there is a distinction in roles. If you go to Ephesians 5.33, we won't take, that, take the time to do so. But in marriage, there are two different genders and two different roles. And he, he describes the roles. The, 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 uh, um, the wife is to honor and reverence her husband. And the husband is to love and cherish his wife. It's two specific roles that they were to fulfill, and they're distinct. They're different. There's even different roles in the church. If you go to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, you see that Paul says that, that it, is, it is not for the ladies to teach and preach. It is not for the ladies to get up and say, this is what God says. God, your role is different in the church. The role of the men is to do that, and that's how God has defined the two different roles. And He's allowed to because he's in charge. And as we talked about yesterday, he's the owner. So he gets to say what goes and what doesn't. The point is this, that there is a distinction in genders. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This distinction is also very practical in nature. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 talks about how there should be a distinction, there should be a difference even in our hairstyles. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 13, it says, Judge in yourselves, is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? And a lot of people have come to this and they say, Ah, see, the Bible teaches that, uh, that, that ladies are supposed to wear head coverings, and so they make little doilies and put them on their heads. All right, But they don't read the rest of the, the context. They don't read the whole thing. Verse 14, Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? By the way, that's a rhetorical question. That's a duh. Yes, does, yes, that's what nature teaches us. So clearly revealing that there is to be a distinction in our hairstyles. Look at verse 15. But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. So we see the distinction even in hairstyles. Guys, we ought not to have long hair. Now, long is one of those things. What makes long, long? Well, long is the principle, all right? Guys, you should not have long hair. Now, where you choose to draw your line is between you and God. I don't like, personally, that my hair touches my ears, although some, it's getting really close right now. Some of that's just personal preference, right? It's uncomfortable. I like short hair, and my hair grows like crazy, so I have to get a haircut every two weeks. Drives Miss Jackie crazy, but I just can't. I don't like long hair. So I had to make some specific lines in my own life so that I don't violate what God says. Now, ladies, specifically, you're to have long hair. What is long? Well, 
you know, you're going to have to make that distinction, distinction, draw a line, make a standard for yourself between you and God so that you're not violating that principle. But the point is this, there is a, a distinction even in our hairstyle. And this goes all the way down now to a distinction in dress. There ought to be, uh, men and women ought to dress differently. It should be distinct. Just like male and female are distinct, dress should be distinct. And you say, where do you see that in the Bible? Well, go to Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse 5. Now, we have to be careful when we go back to the Old Testament uh, because many of the, the, the laws that are, are written there were specifically written to the Jewish people or specifically written to the priests. We're not under those laws anymore. However, we find something here that is different than, than that, a specific statement that is made in verse number 5, Deuteronomy 22 and verse 5. It says, give you a chance to get there, Deuteronomy 22 verse 5. This is a verse that states this principle or this issue of distinction very clearly. The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man. Neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. Now here is an issue where this this stands out because God uses the word abomination. Nowhere in the Bible do we find God changing his mind on things that he says are an abomination. Now we do find him dealing with Israel in a distinct and different way than he deals with the church today. We do find that. But when it comes to abominations like we read about in the book of Proverbs, these things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto the Lord, a proud look, a lying tongue, and on and on it goes with that. Things that are abominations to God, they don't change. God says when men dress like women and women dress like men, that is an abomination. It's something that I hate. That's what the Bible says. And I know that's, that's like, okay, can be a difficult pill to swallow, but that's what the Bible says. That's how God reveals himself. If you go to 1 Corinthians, this is backed up in the New Testament as well. Can you find 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9? 1 Corinthians 6, 9 gives a list of all the different sins, if you want to say this, that, um, that are part and parcel of those that will not inherit the kingdom of God. And some of these make sense. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, all right, really bad sin. But you know what it also says? Fornicators, neither, or let's see, neither fornicators nor idolaters nor abusers, or sorry, uh, adulterers, nor effeminate. Do you know what the word effeminate means? Specifically speaking, that is men who act like or dress like or conduct themselves like women. And God puts it in a list of sins, verse 10, that he says shall not inherit the kingdom of God. He puts it in the category of sin. That's pretty serious. So God takes this distinction very seriously. And so when we think about our dress, when an obvious distinction from the front, from the back, from the side, when an obvious distinction is missing, think about the ramifications of that. When an obvious distinction is missing then a person has to inspect areas of the anatomy to tell the difference between male and female. And, of course, we see this more and more today. You see someone walk by you and you're like, what, what, what is that? Was that a man? Was that a woman? I don't know. Because there's no distinction. And what did God say about not, there not being a distinction, specifically in the area of dress? It was an abomination. And so when that happens, when there's no more, think about how insidious this is and how cleverly, and that, that sounds like a positive word, but I can't think of a, a negative word, how horribly clever this is of the devil to erase these lines. And you are, you, you are growing up in a unique time in human history where you are, you are seeing the, the end game of it all. When I was growing up, you know, people would sort of talk about, this is where things are going, and you'd be like, yeah, really? 
I don't see it going that far. Okay, now you get to see the end game. Now we get rid of all distinctions whatsoever. And now you have to, in order to tell the difference between one and the other, because male and female still exist, whether you, not, you want to admit it or not. It, it's still the way it is. It's biology. It's the way God made it. Now you have to inspect areas and look at areas of the body that you shouldn't be looking at to tell the difference. It's absolute genius on the side of our enemy. And he is just so incredibly clever. So our, our, our dress ought to be distinct. It ought to be different. And so when we're deciding our clothing, we can think about these issues, the issue of modesty. Does it cover? Does it conceal? The issue of gender distinction. Is it different? Is it distinct? And the issue of nakedness, are those areas that God says are to be covered, are they being covered in the way that they should? You can think about these issues. And we can get tied up on the specific articles of clothing. All right, And that comes down to what your standard is, what your rule is. In our home, I mean, Miss Jackie and I have talked about this. We've looked at these issues of modesty and the issue of gender distinction. And so we have, de- we have decided to set a standard, to set a rule. All right, this is, a, this is a clear boundary. All right, the ladies in our home are not going to wear pants. Why is that? Well, because there are, there's issues of modesty, drawing attention, not properly concealing areas that ought to be concealed. And there's also issues of gender distinction and that, that, that dress should be different. That's the specific rule that we have come up with. But, you know, there's crossover of these things. There, 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 there could be a situation where somebody says, well, I'm going to wear, young ladies specifically, I'm going to wear a skirt. But you know that skirt's not modest because it's not concealing. It's covering things, but it's not concealing things. Now, you have less the other issue because nobody wants to wear pants that your you know, 80-year-old grandma wears, all right? Um, that's not how they design them. But anyway, you get the point. You have to examine these issues for yourself and then say, okay, where is my line? And when I define what my line is, am I absolutely certain that I'm not violating one of God's principles? There's one more, and we'll, we'll close with this um, this afternoon. And that is the issue of behavior. We looked at the issue of nakedness, the issue of modesty, the issue of gender distinction, but also the issue of behavior. This is very interesting. What behavior does my clothing bring out in me? Do you know there's a link between your behavior and your dress? We even have phrases like, oh, it's pretty obvious who wears the pants in that family. Ah, so we've equated an area of, address, an area of dress with a, an area of behavior. I guarantee you, if somebody got for me a set of marine dress blues, I guarantee you I'd stand up a little bit straighter. It would affect my behavior. A few, the proud, the marines. You know? It affects my behavior. Do you know I've learned this in doing things like choir? If I dress you differently, you sing differently. If I dress you in concert attire, guess what you act like? You're in a concert. And you perform and sing like you're in a concert. If I said, you know, Hawaiian shirts and, you know, casual day, it affects you. It affects your behavior. I remember talking about this with Miss Jackie one day, and she said, yeah, I remember when I would work at, she worked at a doctor's office uh, for some time. And because of the way she dressed, it was, it was so noticeable that people treated her differently based on how she was dressed. And then she, uh, uh, you know, even act, would act differently based on how she was dressed. So what behavior does my clothing bring out in me? And I kind of already gave you the other one. What behavior does my clothing bring out in others? But think about what, what behavior does my clothing bring out of me? Pro, Proverbs chapter 7 and verse 10 talks about a woman who is clothed with the attire of an harlot. 
It's interesting it doesn't say that she is a harlot, although she's going to act like one in the story if you read Proverbs 7. But she's dressed in that way. And why is she dressed in that way? Because that's how she wants to behave. What behavior does my clothing bring out in me? And then what behavior does my clothing bring out in others? You know, your clothing is not only an indication of your inner attitude, it's also an influencer on your attitude and on your behavior. This is an important issue. So when you decide what to wear, are you more concerned about the approval of those that are around you than you are about the approval of God? Think about that. What are my priorities? Because remember, we have to go back to the founding principle, right? Who owns you? Who's in charge of you? If you're saved, God owns you. He bought you. He owns your body. He has the right to dictate how you use that which he has not only given to you, but, but bought and owns. And so we ought to not say, okay, what can I get away with? We ought to go to God and say, what, what do you want? How do you want me to dress myself? And maybe there's some things, and this has even happened, uh, this has even happened to me. Maybe there's some things that you like. Maybe there's some things that you think, wow, that's comfortable. I really like how that makes me look. That's really stylish. But perhaps there's some things that you have to say, you know what? It is, yes, all those things. But it's not quite what God would want. And so I need to make some changes. I I need to make different choices based on what God wants. What kind of slight changes do you need to make in order to better honor the Lord in this area of dress? This used to be an area that was, you know, targeted at, at, at the young ladies. But just as not, there's just as much immodest clothing for young men as there is for young ladies. And it's getting worse and worse. But think about these principles, and especially the issue of modesty, the issue of gender distinction. Is what I'm choosing to put on my body, does it cover and conceal? And is it distinct? You can go through your closet with just those two questions and already be well on your way to making God-honoring decisions. But really the key is whether or not you want to ask those questions in the first place. Whether or not you really are submitted to God in every area of life. We've, that, we've looked at what the Bible says. We've, we've, we've established clear principles from God's Word. Now as a Christian, as a believer, you need to go out and set up some rules, some standards, some boundaries. Perhaps your boundaries, God makes it clear to you that your boundaries need to be different than, and actually uh, uh, more, i uh, say this right, that your boundaries might actually be different and stronger than where your parents have chosen to set up some rules. That might be the case. But see, we're not talking about what your parents say is okay and what I say is okay and what Mr. Anger says is okay. We're starting with the principles of the Bible and then you have to decide with a clear conscience between you and God, am I violating those? And what are the rules that I establish so that I don't violate those? It's between you and God. And I hope that you are at a place where you say, I care about what God cares about. I care about what God thinks because I want every area submitted to him. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for teaching us this this afternoon. And Lord, I don't know if I've done an adequate job at dealing with some of these issues. Lord, we have looked at your word. We have clearly defined some of these principles, some of these issues that we need to consider. I pray that you'd help the young people not only understand Okay, there are rules, there's some things I should do and I shouldn't do. But go deeper to understand the principles that undergird some of those rules. That they would examine themselves as they establish and decide on specific areas of rules and standards for themselves. And I pray that they would 
put honoring you, honoring their owner, pleasing their owner as a top priority in making some of these uh, decisions in their lives. Bless the rest of this day, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I think you are dismissed.